This is Corkscrew Convos, another theme park podcast. My name is DJ. And my name is Chris. And we're here to talk about theme parks, roller coasters, barbecue, the theater, a new way to play an old game, and everything else under the sun in its time. But first, let's get this disclaimer out of the way. The views, opinions, and information expressed during the following presentation are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent organizations affiliated with those individuals. Well, DJ, Thanksgiving has passed. December is here. Yes, that's right. December is already here. I feel like we were just here and now we're here again. Time is a funny thing, uh, but the days are short. Thankfully, there are nights that are lit up as well. Uh, and I'm not talking about having a good time at Top Golf, that sort of lit. I'm talking about Christmas lights everywhere, uh, because I feel like everybody has some winter event these days. And uh, I saw an ad for some old mansion in the middle of nowhere that is hosting a Christmas event. It's not a hotel; you don't stay there, but it's this big old house, and it has some tasteful holiday-themed decor, and it's Christmas at this big house and then you come and look at the house with the holiday decorations and i just think it's interesting i mean the georgia aquarium too is hosting i get this mm, winter waterland <laughs> oh, I love uh, with that. The, yeah with themed animal encounters uh the polar express 4d movie uh which i'm willing to bet is probably the same ride media that was in uh wild arctic during that holiday overlay at SeaWorld for several years Uh, They also have roaming carolers and, of course, Santa as well, too. Uh, So the aquarium, I guess it's not really like the the big house over there. It's not what I think of when I think of things to do in December, uh, but it helps to get me thinking about them. So uh, it did get me thinking, like, there are these different venues, not just theme parks, that are doing holiday events, Christmas events, anything like that. And uh, I'd be curious, DJ, in our first little discussion here about what you look for in a winter event, because we see a lot of parks extending their seasons for Christmas and all that. I feel like that's been done. We had this proliferation of winter events maybe over the last seven years. They've had that. The parks that are going to get Christmas have it, I feel like. Um, But now we're seeing it elsewhere, uh, like with the aquarium or the big house or whatever else. So uh, let's talk, DJ. What do you think about all this? Yeah, we have certain events here, uh, certain places, I should say, that also do a holiday or a Christmas overlay. Some that come to mind, there's there's the Children's Museum here. They do their own events called Jolly Days Winter Wonderland. There's plenty to do. They bring out some extra things like slides, that sort of things. You can like ice skate <clears throat> in quotes in your socks. I'm not sure what that's wow. about. I haven't done that yet. Of course, you can bring your letter to Santa and have it sent from their letters to Santa box. So uh, there's a lot to do. I think mo- what's most exciting about the Jolly Days is that this is the last time they're doing this. It's going to be something different next year. So that'll be exciting to see. There's also uh, pretty close to us, a uh, Chris Kindle Mart. Do you know what that is? Yes, uh, the Germanic tradition of many different vendors coming together and hawking their wares. (laughs) Come, buy this ornament. Buy this pattern dog leash. It's always those things when I see, at least in the United States, when I see those, they're selling an ornament or a pattern dog leash or a scarf, things like that. Yeah, just imagine, dear listener, 20 to 30, maybe even 40 small little buildings with different accoutrements, whether it be little mugs, uh, like you were saying, little dog leashes, 
I've seen actual uh, handmade clocks, cuckoo clocks, plenty of food, and then usually in the center, some ice skating or something central. Uh, there's ice skating at this one. But, you know, when it comes to these events, Chris, uh, you know, it's probably so important for these parks to do not only these events, but these aquariums, these museums, uh, because it really solidifies buying maybe a season pass option. Uh, and you're reminded that it is, you know, worth it to still come to these places even in the beginning of winter when it's a lot colder out. You might not think of maybe rides as something you would do, but there has to be plenty to look at. And I think that's why these these parks and these museums, these aquariums, these zoos, they go all out because you can't do everything you could normally do in December that you could do in July. So they really have to make it worth your your dollar, essentially. Yeah, I think they also have to keep up with the Joneses now. Uh, if you were in... The competitive landscape, let's say, with the Georgia Aquarium down in Atlanta, uh, and they're doing this Christmas event now. You have to do something like that if you want to even get people to go to you, I feel like. Uh, because if you're the same sphere, maybe Zoo Atlanta, something like that. Uh, I haven't even looked about what they do there, but I'd also be willing to bet that they probably have a pretty good Christmas-style event as well. Maybe uh, lights in the zoo somewhere, things like that. Uh, penguins featured prominently. That's just me guessing. Uh, but if there is something like Georgia Aquarium, already a, a world-class attraction that is... Having this winter waterland event, uh, I feel like you also have to do something approaching or on that scale to even be considered at such a busy time of year. Uh, because again, there's all these parties, end of year business, things like that, that is taking people's attention. Um, so it's, it seems like there's definitely a lot going on uh, here in December. Yeah, I think there's you know different buckets we could maybe put these events in as to what we like about them. You can think of... I think lights, culinary confections, entertainment, and really even new merchandise. I think when it comes to lights, I love LEDs. I don't think we're seeing as many incandescents as we as we used to. Uh, I love a good LED light, especially blues. I like a really bright blue, and I really love when parks, and, and I think the Hershen parks are great at this, they take like one tree and they put one color of light on the entire tree. So you have this giant green tree, this giant blue tree, giant oh, red yeah. tree. Bush Gardens does that too. Yes, and, and I love it on buildings where, you know, maybe the roof is a is a white, but then the side of the building is an orange. So where you have two or three colors maximum on a, on a building because the multicolors are cool. I like a multicolored light, but I think it can kind of look lazy. And I've noticed some parks even doing a little section where there's four or five things that are multicolored, but that's it. The rest of the park is, is all sorts of different um, lights that are more... I guess, synchronized or cohesive. And I think that takes a little bit more time and care. And that's why it looks so great. Yeah, I definitely like when it's done tastefully. I think that's very important because it's easy to be overwhelming in terms of Christmas lights. Um, a big grand display, like even Christmas in Midtown at Silver Dollar City is a great way to put everything out there at once and still have it digestible in a way. Um, <laughs> thankfully, there's yeah. <laughs> not a, a lot going on in that area in terms of shops and things like that. So you're able to just simply walk and experience it only in the lights in that area. Uh, but I think that's a, a great example of that too. Now, LEDs, let me get this straight, DJ. You love when you're looking at these Christmas lights and then you turn your head really fast and it's like the lights are blinking instead of a solid stream. Is that what I'm getting out of this? I wouldn't say uh, long ago. I think LED technology has, has come very far to where that, that's not as much of a problem as, as it was in the past. I'm not saying the problem's completely gone. But I believe a lot of that technology has kind of leveled up in a way to where 
that effect doesn't exist as much as it did. It's not as prevalent, at least. Yeah, they don't make them like they used to. Think about the Knobles carousel we did where the old lights were switched for LEDs and we're kind of astonished that they would do that, but it didn't really have that effect on me where you get that weird blur. Yeah, it looked incredible. I, if you wouldn't have told me that, I would have said, oh, yeah, it's just regular old light bulbs. Uh, but that's incredible. Even when I was staring at those lights in line, trying to, to get that effect and look at it, I couldn't even tell that they were LEDs. Uh, my eye is untrained in terms of looking for different types of lights, but uh, that was a very impressive display there. I think another thing that's been more prevalent throughout the past few years, and it might have been spurred by Frozen, the movie Frozen. I don't know. I can't confirm this. But like a section or even a large area, I think Dollywood has something like this where it's all about icy cold, cold blues, whites, polar bears, more like an Arendelle sort of section, if you will, uh, more like Elsa's castle rather than a warm Christmassy feeling. Now, hold on. You know that I am a simp for Busch Gardens Williamsburg. Do you not? Yes, you are. Okay. You are. I got to give them the credit. Certified simp, yes. <laughs> they had a polar pathway uh, since I think the event's been had. I think they started in 2009, uh, where in the Escape from Pompeii area, where it's sort of Italy, but not really, is just sort of the Escape from Pompeii area. Uh, they douse it with lights. They just have these huge nets of lights over the actual escape from Pompeii area. It's a huge photo opportunity there. Uh, They've had a big Santa statue as well. But in that area too, they have what you're describing, where they have the different polar bears that are posed differently. They're not necessarily the Coca-Cola polar bears, uh, but there's like a polar bear that's a bench. And it's actually a little scary because the polar pair, not polar pair, I think that's a food opportunity, though. That's a the thing. Pol- yeah, it's already a thing. No, I don't know. <laughs> it will be TM. It sounds don't like steal it's a it, thing. Don't steal it, dear listener. You, you said I it made so that up. <laughs> the polar bears are just sitting there, and like there's this big gash taken out of them because they're also a bench. So some of those polar bears are actually kind of scary unless someone's actively actively sitting in them. Uh, that's just a, a negative externality of their display. Uh, it was it's not something I could fault them for because it's great to have all of that different seating. Uh, but it is a little strange when you see this emaciated polar bear with a gash taken out of its side. Uh, there's not someone sitting in it as well. But uh, I'm digressing. I am getting out there. But I was trying to give Bush Gardens the credit of having that icy polar experience before frozen but i definitely get that trend that you're saying dj hey you're on to something i mean bgw takes the win again well dj uh, to speak about bush gardens williamsburg again i think that was really my first theme park christmas experience when they had uh Christmas town uh, over the last decade plus now, uh, but I've since gotten out to a lot of different uh, other Christmas events to different chains, different operators. Of course, Disneyland puts on an incredible display to uh, in terms of attraction availability and shows and parades and things like that. But uh, something that I really like as well in these Christmas events is that they take it as an opportunity to change up the food and beverage offerings there. Um, And the first thing that comes to mind when I think of food and beverage around Christmas time is hot chocolate. Uh, Because with this hot chocolate, when you get it in a park or something like that, this hot chocolate itself Uh, If you were to put a GPS in that hot chocolate, maybe an Apple AirTag, and you drop it in the hot chocolate, 
you're not going to be in Kansas anymore. It would ping you somewhere, I don't know, in Timbuktu or Bangkok or something like that. You're not in Kansas anymore when you're drinking this hot chocolate. A long way to say that it is not your grandmother's hot chocolate uh, when you are taking it at an event like this. They generally make it really rich. It's a, a smooth hot chocolate, I feel like. I don't know how they do it. I hear that there are hot chocolate machines that make it now. So I don't know how they do this alchemy where they come out with a, a really piping hot cup of hot chocolate of, of cocoa. Uh, but I, I love it. I mean, I think a, a great park that does that really well is SeaWorld Orlando, where they have all these different toppings and syrups that you can put in it to. Uh, you can even make it jolly uh, by adding other things into it as well. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's a, it's a great example of uh, getting a sort of a signature drink uh, for the Christmas season. Do you like, uh, so? well, I guess you kind of answered my question. You like more of a sweet smooth hot chocolate than maybe like a kind of a spicy hot chocolate? I haven't actually had spicy hot chocolate. And I, I know what you're getting at. Like a sort of a, is it almost a, a Spanish style of hot chocolate? Yeah, I think it's Mexican hot chocolate. Mexican, that's it. Yeah, Mexican hot chocolate. I, I haven't had that yet, but I really ought to try that sometime uh, because I know what you're saying. I see it out and about here and there. Um, I, I'd definitely be intrigued to do that. I mean, Today for lunch, uh, I went to the salad bar, and I put way too many jalapenos in my salad, and I paid for it dearly. <laughs> uh, it was the pickled jalapenos, too. And I'm like, mmm, why did I do this? Well, <laughs> you, might, you might give the edge to SeaWorld Orlando, but I'll give the edge, I think, to my home park on this one at Silver Dollar City. Well, I guess World's of Fun, technically, but Silver Dollar City, they, they do a snowball. Do you know what a snowball is? No, what is that? All right, so you take basically. I had to look it up to make sure I got it got it right here. It's hot chocolate with you know your your whole milk. You add a cup of white chocolate chips, a little bit of heavy cream, vanilla extract. But what makes it the snowball? It just sounds like a rich hot chocolate. What makes it a snowball is that snowball scoop of vanilla ice cream that goes right on top of the hot chocolate. Wait. How do they put ice cream in it? Does it just, is that part of the presentation that it melts immediately and then cools it down a little bit once you it, get it? It actually doesn't really melt it immediately. You'd be surprised. Um, but it goes in just a, you wouldn't know it different than another cup of hot chocolate. Like the way they do it, it's just like in a to-go cup with a lid still. You know, DJ, that sounds a little bit like witchcraft to me, uh, but... <laughs> Thankfully, they get the I'm edge. They get the edge for me. So they also get the edge when it comes to traditional food for me. They've got the hot chocolate. They also have they have wassail, which is just Christmas in a cup, is how I would describe it. Um, but they also have this awesome buffet they do where for the Christmas season, for their old time Christmas, the prime rib comes out. All oh. you can eat prime rib, literally Wait, cut in front. All of you. you can eat. Where is all this? you can eat prime rib? It's in it's in the Mill Restaurant at Silver Dollar City. It's all-you-can-eat prime rib. It is a little more expensive. I think it's $35 or $40, uh, but it's all-you-can-eat prime rib, and it's cut right in front of you, too. It's not like it's just oh my goodness. on a hot plate that's in a buffet line. It is a buffet, but that's at the end. All right, how many slices? All right, three. All right, you want any <laughs> horseradish with that? All right, here you go. Oh, goodness. You want some sounds... Here's some Aljou. That sounds like something, man. That's, wow. <laughs> all-you-can-eat prime rib. That's, that's Christmas right. to me, I guess, because... I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of big, quote-unquote, holiday feast foods all the time. I mean, it's good on Thanksgiving. That being said, I didn't have that sort of thing this Thanksgiving. I did ribs. Um, but 
for Christmas time, I mean, I, I, I know that these a lot of parks and different restaurants try to recreate that holiday feast experience with mashed potatoes and turkey and ham and cranberry sauce. And, and that just isn't me. Like, I, I don't even like breakfast food that much. And I'm going to be canceled for that, that I don't love breakfast food a ton. I mean, sausage, bacon, eggs, stuff like that. It's all great. But when, you, when it comes to pancakes or English muffins, t- get that look off your face. You know this about me. French toast? French toast, no thank you. It's just this mushy toast thing. Bread pudding, no thank you. Oh. So here I go with my hot takes, but I don't love the like the holiday feast food maybe more than two or three times a year. So I really like when there's a, a park like maybe uh, acknowledges that it's going to be a cold, chilly event, and they try to think of things that will warm you up and fill you up while also being great park food as well. Uh, I think a great example that's at multiple parks is a bread bowl because <laughs> you could you could do anything with the bread bowl dj you hollow it out and you can put any number of things inside that sourdough bread bowl and that's oh right. they do i mean disney california adventure they had that chinese chicken salad that they put in the bread bowl mm, that is amazing i don't know if they still do that but it's great Panera Bread. Now we're we're digressing. We're not even talking about theme parks or things <laughs> like that. It's Panera, but they have the broccoli cheddar soup in the bread bowl. Well, chef's kiss. I'm not a chef, but I'm kissing it. Um, and also, uh, there's a, a bread bowl at Disneyland, or at least there was, uh, where they would put actual gumbo in the bread bowl in New Orleans Square, so you could get that. Uh, didn't get too chilly out there in California, but if you got that bread bowl, uh, you you found a, a seat somewhere in New Orleans Square. It was just you were in cloud nine. It was sublime. Yeah, I think, you know, another back to Silver Dollar City, they do a walking taco. It's only available uh, during the old time Christmas where it's a taco inside of a Fritos bag. Uh, but that warm taco meat, you know, it really, it, it works during the Christmas season. And they have great shows as well if we want to talk about entertainment real quick. I mean, the show overlays switch over to something Christmas and there's always a great message behind everything. Not that there's bad messages behind normal um, park shows, but... It's just a little bit different to think about, hmm, maybe peace on earth would be really a great idea or something like that. That'd be pretty cool. And to just put a bow on the food and beverage talk, I do like how you said taco meat instead of beef. (laughs) Because sometimes, man, sometimes... Uh, But yes, entertainment. I mean, we keep coming back to Silver Dollar City. I think they do an incredible job with an old-time Christmas presented by Humana, if it still is. I'm not sure. (laughs) Could be. Uh, But with their entertainment as well, it's really great for a park to get creative or a venue location to get creative with it. It's great to have uh, the carols, all the standards put together in a show with a very loose plot. And okay, that checks off one box, but that's one show. I like to see when they get creative with it. Like, I think a great example is the musical that that used to be at Silver Dollar City, uh, which was, oh, what's it called? It's It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. How did I forget that? Oh, yeah, because I haven't actually seen the movie, but I've seen the musical many times, so I'm pretty sure <laughs> well, I know the whole Well, you've basically seen the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a perfect example of a show that is Christmas and Christmas adjacent. Uh, they take a, a lot of different songs that they recontextualize them, and that's what I love to see when a park takes a song and recontextualizes it into, in this case, a, a Christmas experience. And um, a very notable example of that is the sort of the all is lost moment of uh, It's a Wonderful Life, where he sings Journey to the Past from Anastasia. 
That's incredible. I mean, it's a very different situation, uh, but the the song just works so well where he's journeying to his past. And it's been several years since I've seen it, but uh, I wonder if it's on YouTube or something like that. Because it's a great example. They have projection mapping. They have big different sets as well. Um, it's a very impressive display there. And I think we keep coming back to a park like Silver Dollar City or Dollywood because they have it down to a science. They have, uh, I mean, a Dollywood, I haven't done their Christmas event either, but I know that they have like a, a Smoky Mountain Christmas show as well. And then Home for the Holidays, things like that. So it sounds like they're really able to have these variations of the same theme or message, but distinct enough that you're able to have these different shows as well. Um, and I think that's just industry leading in that sense. And um, I mean, here I go with Bush Gardens. <laughs> Last year, they debuted another show, uh, which is actually very familiar to me. It was Celtic Fire, but a Celtic Fire Christmas. And uh, yeah, it's, it's what it sounds like. It was essentially the Celtic Fire show, that existing product that has been filling that theater for more than decades at this point uh, but then they changed a couple things they put a little decorations on the set itself changed a little bit of the dialogue and then added a one or two songs towards the end uh, that were Irish Christmas folk songs as well so it's a really great way to do that to still keep that DNA of the Bush Gardens experience while still making it a themed temporary experience as well makes it special there's just so many uh like public domain things you can pull from too that makes making a show you know decent pretty easy not saying it's an easy feat i guess but easier than maybe some sort of standalone show in the summer yeah i mean with uh, the summer uh, there's a, a lot of different variables that go into what sort of show i feel like every park even if it's not in an area that likes country music necessarily there's always this one show that's just super country where they're I mean, it's like stereotypical country where they're wearing the overalls, they're on a truck flatbed, and they're singing these country songs. <laughs> the music's uh, easy to listen to. It's easy trope to copy. Yeah, I'm, I'm not complaining by any means, but I just think it's funny how uh, all these parks have sort of this one token show that is sort of this country box-checking um, element as well. Now, Silver Dollar City, yeah. Dollywood, they got a couple of those shows. <laughs> they got a bunch. Yeah. Uh, but Yeah. <laughs> Very true. I guess the last thing we really want to talk about, our last bucket, is merchandise. Um, it feels like Christmas merchandise, holiday merchandise, it could be anything, um, but I think it can get really tacky very easily. Um, yes, there's shirts with... Sometimes, sometimes tacky okay. is good. And, yeah. and that's, that's okay. Like I'm thinking of a Christmas story tacky or a Christmas vacation tacky, but the big Santa with the red rosy cheeks that has the glitter on the shirt... Maybe not. Well, if it's like uh, the Coca-Cola Santa and it's, it's like... Copyright. No, no, yeah. Norman Rockwell style Christmas. Uh, I get what they're trying to do there. <laughs> uh, but you're right. It can get tacky very quickly. Uh, but I like to see parks and different places get creative with it. Because I feel like... Um, that's just my observation. I don't know if that's true. Everybody is buying so much more during the season. Now, I'm not just talking about in general. I know that they are because they're buying gifts for people, uh, trying to do things before the year is over. But they're also 
buying things in the parks too. I gotta, I gotta imagine that uh, the merchandise per cap figures are way inflated during that season as well. Uh, I feel like plush too. I see a lot more plush because people are buying these things for kids because I guess parks are a big thing for kids who knew <laughs> uh, but a lot more plush out there not only uh, themed to the parks themselves but to uh, the holidays as well uh, where sometimes they're combined sometimes they're a, a custom collab of like a park doing a christmas style thing i know rudolph i that's something i don't understand is rudolph the red-nosed reindeer I have no idea how the licensing works for that because I see it everywhere. SeaWorld Parks have done it forever, but then, oh no, it's at the Gaylord. And then, oh no, it's, uh, where did I see it most recently? Hershen Parks do it. Yeah, the Hershen Parks do it. Uh, it's actually also at the Georgia Aquarium. They have a Rudolph 4D show too. So, uh, I mean, they just say, if you got. I think it's just pay and play, baby. Pay to play. Yeah, pay to play. That's got to be what it is. But uh, it's a great example of using existing holiday IP to strengthen your own brand itself in that seasonal event too. If we want to use a couple big words like that too, but back to plush, it's, I feel like it makes the most sense in Christmas time. Cause it's, it's a, a warm, soft, tactile souvenir. Uh, not like, um, one of those glow things where you press the trigger and it spins and glows. And I guess those are pretty big during Christmas, too, because it's a nighttime event. But uh, I just imagine plush when I think of a lot of holiday merchandise. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, to see some of these parks jumping on the Black Friday game as well. Not just with park tickets, but I've seen some parks that will, during the Black Friday day, merchandise in the park might be half off. Wow. Yeah, I didn't even realize that, but yeah, I mean, I noticed uh, Six Flags had a huge uh, deal on their passes uh, on Black Friday, too, or it was like a cyber sale, something like that. Um, there's a lot that I don't understand about Six Flags season passes or memberships or whatever they're calling them now, uh, but they were pricing the top tier, I think it was the top tier, season pass at the middle tier price for a couple days. Um, and that seemed like a great deal if you live near a Six Flags Park. Personally, I don't, so I did not take advantage of that deal, but uh, it's interesting to see how creative uh, different operators can get. I think that can really put a, a, a bow, <laughs> we've said it before, a bow, maybe it, we're putting the Christmas into the box, we're putting it in the into the attic, um, we're putting it away for next season. I'm sure it'll come up some more, but that was a nice little conversation we had about holiday events, whether it was at a park, whether it was at a zoo, uh, whether it was at a museum, but we've got a lot of fun to cover this episode, um, and it's a more than just more than just Christmas. You went to a very special place, as we kind of teased here in the beginning of the episode. But Chris, let's remind everyone where where we've been uh, before today's episode. Yeah, we've had a lot of fun recently, a lot of great episodes out there. Uh, we had uh, two episodes ago, an episode called Hooked on Phoenix, which was mainly a trip report episode. It was kind of a celebration, really, because we were coming together for the first time in person since 2019, and we did it at Knobles in October, and that was such a great time. And then, of course, we had the fourth iteration, the fourth installment of Chris Takes Orlando, this episode titled A New Storm Gathers, where you told us about how excited you are for the stand-up pipe surf stand 
soon-to-be sit coaster over at oh, SeaWorld Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, I really like that episode, though, because we kind of focused on things that were new to you in Orlando, and maybe that's what we'll do in the future. When I return, when you return, we'll focus on what's new. Yeah. I mean, we also had a great trip report episode of you visiting Canada's Wonderland for the first time. You went on an international journey and brought back a story to tell. Uh, that was DJ's Crisp Canadian Adventure. Uh, I kind of wish that I had named it DJ's Mighty Canadian Adventure because then that would have evoked the Mighty Canadian Mindbuster, which is a roller coaster at Canada's Wonderland. Uh, but it's too late to change it now. Or is it? It's too we'll late to change to it now, and no, I did not have a beaver tail. No, I did not have Tim Hortons. I had neither of those things. <sighs> yeah, well, we live and we learn. That's been a whole lot of fun uh, that we've had recently at Corkscrew Convos. This is our 87th episode, so we have a lot of other episodes you could check out as well, dear listener, if you're looking for some time to fill in which you want to listen to a podcast. I mean, if you did want to have a Corkscrew conversation with us, there are also many ways that you could do that. Yeah, there certainly are. Uh, you can check us out on our email, corkscrewconvos at gmail.com. If you want more of a long-form discussion with us, we're also on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. There's always a reason to follow us on all of those platforms, something different. But we promise we will talk to you on anything. <laughs> well, we're not on those like new platforms that are out there because people are getting nervous about Twitter. We haven't joined those yet, but I feel like we should because someone might uh, go ahead and squat on our yeah. username if we're not Mastodon. careful. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's, That's maybe it's it time is. to start up the discord maybe it's time for the subreddit oh wow that's a, a slippery slope out there to uh to herding cats i feel like That's right. <laughs> but that could That's be rewarding right. i love cats be. That's the thing it, it could be so i'm curious uh this new thing we were teasing it's we said a new way to play an old game I, I love when I'm pretending I don't know what you're going to talk about, because I see the episode title here. But, Chris, indulge me. What What is this yeah. new way to play an old game? Well, golf is an old game. I feel like people play it at all ages of their life, including when they're old. Uh, it's a, a game in which you hit a golf ball with a club or a putter or a driver or something like that. Uh, it seems like a pretty expensive game, so I haven't actually played it start to finish. I mean, I've been to a driving range before, but I have not gone out and used a golf cart, gone around the golf course, I guess you could say. Uh, that's not something I've done before, but there is something out there that takes golf and it makes it more of a game than it was before. They gamify it by adding a score to a, sort of a driving range experience, and uh, that is Top Golf, and I went for the first time last night. Now, I'm curious uh, how it went for you. I'm sure you're going to tell us. I uh, played golf in high school. I golf about once a week currently. Um, I love golf, everything about golf. Um, so you're fancy, is that it? Well, I, that was my next point. I was going to disagree with you on the expensive game portion. I think it can get very expensive, but I think if you go into it knowing what you're looking for, I mean, you can find some golf clubs at a garage sale for $10 to get a whole set. And depending on where you golf, you might pay 10 to $20 per round, depending on where you go. I mean, you're not going to go to someplace extremely fancy, but I, I, I don't have the money to do that either. Yeah, I mean, the only place I could actually realistically golf is actually Augusta. Uh, so <laughs> if I'm not golfing there, it's just not worth it well, for me. <laughs> I, I think what Top Golf does, and I'll be curious on your opinion, I think it it turns golf into, I mean, it's similar to bowling. I mean, everybody goes bowling, but not a lot of people bowl 
professionally. Like at Top Golf, you can go, the clubs are there for you. They kind of color code it to tell you, hey, if you use this, it should go this far. It kind of takes the guesswork out of it. And it's more of a fun party atmosphere than sitting in a cart with two or three or four of your friends and they're just watching your every move trying to beat you. And inevitably, they're better than you no matter how good you are. I think that's a great way to describe it as like a bowling alley because uh, it's sort of set up like that too uh, with the different bays next to each other. Um, they overlook that big driving range as well with the different lit up pits and sand traps and stuff like that because um, I don't know about you, DJ, but I only played the basic version of it in which you sort of just hit it. And if yeah. it lands in one of the pits, you get a certain amount of points. If it lands in a different area of, a, of it, you get different points. Uh, if you hit the back of the net, you get 30 points. Yes. I didn't do that, but somebody in my group did that, and that was incredible. I was like, wow, that's a lot of points. He still didn't beat me that round, though. <laughs> but Yeah, uh, that it's, was it's all about impressive. being consistent, I think, in top golf, where, like you said, you can hit the back of the net. That's fine. You get a lot of points, but you're going to get way more points hitting maybe the hole closest to you every single time. Yeah, I feel like now, I've only been to a driving range like twice before going to Top Golf. I eventually got into a groove where I would hit it, and it wouldn't go terribly far, but it would almost always land in that middle pit, either landing directly in it or rolling into it as well because it had some power behind it. And... I won two out of the three matches that I played wow. uh, with 20 balls per match or whatever you call it, match, game, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but it's because I got in that groove where I would hit it and then I would, say, I'd say, I would hold on to the club because it would be super embarrassing if the club went flying too. <laughs> oh, just an intrusive thought. Don't worry about that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I would get into that groove where it would go into that area, and I don't really get the scoring, because sometimes it would go in a portion of that pit, and i get three points, and right. then I would go into a different quadrant, and I'd get 12, and I wouldn't complain, but I'd scratch my head and say, how does this scoring work? <laughs> I didn't worry about it too much, but it was a very fun time. I don't think they know how it works. What did you think when you drove up to the facility the first time, and you saw the large pylons holding the nets up? It is very impressive. I had driven by Top Golf's before. I mean, in Orlando, it's pretty close to iDrive as well. Mm -hmm. uh, that's probably a perfect location to play Top Golf. It's definitely something I'd have my eye on next time I'm in that area because it seems like a very fun location to play Top Golf there. Uh, but it was fun. I mean, they had the. It was very imposing. There was this. I approached the building at night, and it had this blue uh, piping of lighting on the building itself, which is already very big, uh, but it made it a very cool experience. They had this uh, fancy setup where there was a sort of visiting area while you were waiting for your uh, bay to open up. They had different event space that I checked out as well because I was a little intrigued. I said, wow, you can really host events here. Uh, that's pretty fun. And I saw different catering setups, that sort of thing too. And it seems like a really great business model because you can just come with a couple of your friends, much like a bowling alley, or because it's golf and rich business people like to do it too, uh, you can host events there and business meetings there and they have the equipment uh the meeting equipment to do that as well so uh, overall i'm a very big fan of top golf and i'm gonna have to go again sometime soon yeah i'm glad you enjoyed it and uh maybe you'll go golfing with me soon as well well i'll give you a a, a good course on a, on a 
or I should say a crash course on a really good course. <laughs> oh, good. I mean, the only thing I know about golfing, I learned in that episode of The Office where they had Andy Bernard who hit like a, a thousand balls a night before and his hands were tore up. Uh, and that's not me. I promise I won't do that. But uh, I, I know very little about golf in that sense. But I definitely love to learn more because I feel like that's something that is a way to conduct business. I feel like that's People go golfing when they're doing business or closing a sale or something like that, too. Uh, so that is definitely an element as well that I'd want to have on my radar. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the business stuff. A lot of uh, business schools actually require like uh, one or two credit hours worth of golf. Maybe not require, but maybe it's an elective that's allowed for credit. Huh. My business school didn't. My MBA Same. didn't. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Oh, well, that's interesting, though, because it definitely seems like a way to relate to people in a way that you have an activity out there that is taking some of your attention, uh, but it's also allowing you to openly eat and drink and and uh, talk about whatever else. And, and thankfully, hopefully, the weather is pretty good, too. So it a seems like a great opportunity. to uh, win the IAPA Give Kids the World golf tournament. Maybe someday. I got to enter it first. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, I guess one final thought I want to say about Top Golf is uh, not Top Golf from Avatar: The Last Airbender. Top Golf, <laughs> where is uh, that they have this uh, great uh, model where I guess they have different heating elements over the bay itself. So yes. the I was looking at their website before I went. They're open through the winter. It looks like the building is designed in such a way that it functions perfectly during rain, I guess, too. Yes. Uh, so that's an interesting wrinkle as well. Do you know if it opens during snow? I think that Top Golf will open as long as it's safe for their employees to go in. Um, huh. I don't know that maybe the sensors would be working, but I think the sensors have to do with... And I could be wrong on this. Someone can totally school us. I think there's like a laser apparatus or something that watches the ball. It doesn't actually have anything to do with where it picks up in the hole. It actually knows where every single ball is because it can tell you your ball speed and everything else. Yeah, I was wondering the technology behind that. I just assumed it was a bunch of RFID chips. But is that the case? I think it would have to be. Um, it uses a thing called TrackMan, I believe, Um to, to track everything um, there there are like things you can buy for yourself that I mean now you're, you're t I was just telling you how golf wasn't expensive but you can buy <laughs> these like training aids for three to eight hundred dollars that are mobile that you can place behind you and then every time you hit the ball on the real course it'll give you the same data that um, top golf does and I don't know how it works I wow. assume it's I, I, there's some things you can buy like you put in the grips of your club there are some things that I think this thing that Garmin makes watches it. But anyways, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it is more the laser or something is pointed at your bay and it picks up your specific golf ball instead of every ball having some sort of sensor in the ball, if that makes sense. Could be the other huh. way around, though. Well, it was interesting that they had a little blurb on one of the screens that periodic periodically show up and say, um, make sure to aim the golf balls into the range. Yeah. Our golf balls have a habit of reporting when they get lost. So I guess it's like anti-theft message. But I wonder Maybe. what that is. Like, does it does something go beep, 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 beep if you try to walk out with a golf ball from them? Or I don't know. It's, uh, well, it's interesting. And either way, they're range balls. So you wouldn't really want to play with them anyways. That's 
the other that part means of that, nothing but. to me i know nothing <laughs> about what that oh you mean like a, a driving range they've been hit a lot yeah well it's just how they're constructed like they're not as good as a ball you would just buy to play with like the insides are different they might be cheaply made where like if you buy a box of balls like the box the balls that i buy i think it's it's either 12 or 16 balls for 50 dollars so you can now i'm spending a lot though because i don't lose balls anymore um so i can do that but like, <laughs> okay go off but but like if you could buy a bucket of 100 balls for maybe a hundred dollars but they're all going to be range balls like they're not constructed as well i know it sounds stupid it's like a golf ball is a golf ball but like there's specific Evidently balls that I, <laughs> there's specific golf balls that i like to play with and ones that i'm like ooh, I'd, I'd rather not hit that yeah <laughs> that's funny i am not up to that level yet but hopefully i'll get there someday we'll get you there we'll, we'll do a new podcast it'll be of course your convos on the green yeah, on the green, I always love a good subtitle after uh, colon. That just really, it hits right. Like yes. I'm talking about uh, Star Wars, colon, Rise of the Resistance, Guardians of the Galaxy, colon, Mission Breakout. <laughs> That's a great way to do it. If you're not using a colon, you're not using your noggin. <laughs> I want to bring back books that are, that are things like The Night Before Christmas or... A, t- a visit from Chris Kringle, where they have a big or in front of it, or comma. And yeah, Doctor Strange Love, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Balm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, we got to bring that back. Maybe that this episode title is going to be obnoxiously long. I haven't written it yet, but it's gonna be it's gonna be one of those. It's gonna be like uh, winter event memories, or how I learned to stop worrying and. Love the cocoa. I don't know. Something like that. I'm going to think about it. That was not a good example. It's not what the title is going to be, uh, but it'll be something like that. <laughs> and, well, hopefully that title's good enough for you, dear listener, to give us a written five-star review today on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're listening to us on Spotify, also give us a five-star review. It's really the free way to help the show out. Yes, it does help us out tremendously. It helps put our content in front of others who might not be listening to us currently and, and maybe would be interested want to work that algorithm as much as we can. So we really appreciate that. Again, it's completely free. We'd appreciate you doing that. And I'm really excited. We just talked about Spotify. Uh, Maybe throwing up these Spotify wrapped, this content up on our Instagram or something. Yeah, I mean, with uh, you dear listeners out there, if you listen through Spotify and Corkscrew Convos is on your Spotify wrapped, go ahead and show us because that'd be really fun to see as well. Uh, We did get a Spotify wrapped ourselves as a podcast that distributes on Spotify, and there were some pretty cool uh, different statistics on there. I mean, I'm a nerd for data anyway, but to see a lot of what they had uh, put together, I mean, it says... Your listener's podcast personality is The Enthusiast. Your listeners are super fans. When their favorite podcast releases a new episode, they're among the first to know, going above and beyond to show their support. Uh, I don't know if they're necessarily talking about our podcast or just podcasts in general, uh, but it's really cool to see. I mean, we're a top 10 podcast for 64 fans. We're a top 5 podcast for 46 fans. And uh, we are the one number one podcast for 10 fans as well. And I think that's the bee's knees. That's really cool. I love the uh, tw- top 25% most shared globally. That's wild. Yeah, I mean, that's fun. I, mean, I know that's a lot. Talking but about I, roller there's, coasters, a, but... <laughs> there's a lot of podcasts, but yeah, I, I love that. 
Yeah, so that's fun. I mean, you mentioned with those with those reviews, it's a really fun, free, easy way to help out the show. It helps get the word out. Uh, but we're happy to do it. We're happy to talk about roller coasters, barbecue, whatever else. Uh, but until next time, uh, my name is Chris, and my name is DJ, and this has been another Corkscrew Convo. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.